Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. We are so glad you are joining us midweek. Today's message is part 13 in Pastor DJ Ritchie's Sunday evening series through the book of Galatians. This message was given on December 13th, 2020. We want to encourage you to join us in person at one or all of our services. Our doors are open Sunday mornings at 1030, Sunday nights at 7 o'clock, and Wednesdays at 645. If you have not yet subscribed, please do. When you do, you will receive a notification each time we post a new message. It will always be up to date. We hope this message would be an encouragement to you as you follow Jesus. So grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. I don't know what God has freed you from tonight, but I know that if you're a child of God, you've been freed from something. I know that all of us that are in Christ have been freed from sin in general, and we've been freed from the fear of death, and we've been freed from the principalities, the powers, the dominions that rule over this world under Satan, yet how many times do we fail to live in the freedom that Christ has purchased for us? Back in 1963, a movie came out called The Great Escape. Any of you seen that movie? A number of you have seen that movie. It was based on a book. It took a little bit of liberty with the uh, historical account, but it's based on a book by the same name called The Great Escape, which was published way back in 1950, and uh, it was based on an actual event that took place in Germany in uh, 19, I believe it was 1943, 1944, somewhere around that time. In Stalag Luft III in Germany, or thereabouts, it was under German control. But the book was written by uh, an Australian soldier who was a prisoner of war in that Stalag, and he recounts uh, his part and uh, what happened in that Stalag when a group of 250 uh, prisoners of war decided that they were going to tunnel out of the Stalag. They were going to try to escape. And their goal was not simply to escape back to the Allied forces. Their goal was to escape and to cause as much chaos and as much confusion behind enemy lines as they could. And so those brave men uh, dug three holes, three tunnels. Uh, Tom, Dick, and Harry is what they called the three tunnels. And altogether, 76 of them made it through the tunnels, made it out into freedom. But sadly, for most of them, it was only a temporary freedom. Again, their goal really was to create chaos. It wasn't just to escape. Out of those 76, only three of them actually did escape and make it back home uh, on that first attempt. 23 of them were recaptured and 50 of them were killed. In fact, some of them were recaptured and then executed uh, against the Geneva Convention. They were told to get out and stretch, take a break, and then as they were standing there in the field uh, taking a break, the uh, Germans illegally murdered them in cold blood. You know, a lot of Christians live their lives like those prisoners of war. They, they have freedom, but they're not really expecting that freedom to stick. 
they're not really expecting that freedom to last. It's almost like they anticipate getting recaptured by the enemy. And they do get recaptured, and maybe they try to escape again. Some of those men actually were able to uh, mount another escape attempt. But how many times do we escape the gulag, escape the stalag, escape the prison, and then find ourselves right back wearing those chains again? That's not the expectation that we should have as children of God. And Paul tells us in Galatians that we need to live in freedom. See, we're not living with the unarmed power of an escaped prisoner of war. We are armed with the very armor of God as a Christian. And we are no longer under, yes, we live in enemy territory. We do live behind enemy lines, but we are not here running around trying not to get recaptured. We are here now as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are here as soldiers of the king. We are here with the command to occupy. And we're not just trying to escape capture as long as we can. We're here to uh, hold the ground and to hold our freedom, to claim that freedom in Jesus Christ. And so I want to take you back to Galatians chapter 4 where Paul really begins to dig into this idea of freedom. And I want to remind you what we talked about in this series, but specifically also what we talked about uh, last week. We uh, are studying the book of Galatians together. The book of Galatians uh, is all about living the resurrected life, living out the gospel, which means living out the realities, living in the reality uh, that we have been saved by God's grace through faith. It's all what Jesus Christ has done for us, not what we do for him. And so in Uh, Chapters 1 and 2, Paul talks about living for God's favor, not man's favor. In chapters 2 and 3, he talks about living by faith in what Christ has done for us, not on what we do for him. And then in chapter, at the end of chapter 3 and into chapter 4 through the beginning of chapter 5, Paul focuses on living in the freedom of Jesus Christ. And we saw last week that this freedom in Christ is first and foremost the freedom of sonship, being part of the family of God. Chapter 4 says, verse 1, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons... And daughters, God has set forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So I must live as a child of God. I'm not to live a life that is uh, enslaved to ritual, not live a life enslaved to the law, not even the law of God of, of the old covenant. Uh, I'm not under the law of Moses. I'm under the law of Christ. I'm, I'm free as a son of God. And I am certainly, certainly not to live in slavery to those who claim to be gods, but are not the one true God. They are themselves created beings, powerful, immensely powerful, but not the one true God. And so we saw last week, the father, it's the fatherhood of God that brings freedom. It brings freedom from spiritual bondage, both the spiritual bondage to the law of God, which was the 
bondage that the old covenant Christians were under because Messiah hadn't come yet. Jesus hadn't come to pay for the sins of all mankind. He hadn't shed his blood on the cross. He hadn't, hadn't risen victorious from the dead. And so they were under the bondage of the law. We are not under the bondage of the law. Many were under the bondage of principalities and powers, the elements of the world, uh, as we'll see tonight, them which are by nature no gods. They were under uh, false gods. But whether uh, they were enslaved to the law of God or the law of the gods, that was still a spiritual bondage. And Paul says, no more, no more. We have the fatherhood of God, and that fatherhood of God brings freedom from all kinds of spiritual bondage. But that fatherhood is only possible through the finished work of Christ. Again, we have an incredible privilege now on this side of the resurrection that even Moses didn't have, and even Solomon didn't have, and even David and Abraham, they, they didn't have the privileges that we have now. Though they have them now because Christ has purchased them, but they didn't have them when they walked this world in the flesh. And uh, we have such incredible privileges that now that we can be called the children of God, but it's only possible through the finished work of Christ. God's perfect plan executed at God's perfect time. And what was it to do to create God's perfect family and enable our adoption? We are today, if you are in Christ, if you have confessed your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, you've trusted in his death, literal physical death as payment for your sin. If you've trusted in his literal physical resurrection for your salvation, you are today redeemed. And you are officially a child of God, but you haven't yet experienced your adoption. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that that adoption will be experienced when we are given our resurrected bodies and when we are free from the very presence of sin in our lives. We still struggle with sin. We're free from sin. We're free from the power of sin, but we're not yet free from the presence of sin. We still, all of us still struggle with sin. But there's a day coming when we will experience in full the adoption that we can already claim as children of God. And that, uh, that is affirmed, Paul says, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of His Son. It's through the Holy Spirit that we are able to cry out, Abba, Father, that I am able to, to call God my Daddy. What an awesome, awesome privilege that is. He's at work, the Holy Spirit, in every believer's heart. And He is my Father's guarantee that I have the internal and eternal and internal inheritance in him, the adoption of a son. Now, let's talk about escaping the trap that Satan has set specifically for us who have been set free. Satan loves to set traps for Christians. He can't steal our hope, but he can distract us from it. He can't quench the light, but he can try to get us to hide it ourselves. And so I want to talk to you tonight about escaping the snare of Christianized paganism. I'm going to explain what that term means tonight. I, I think it's always important that we define our terms. But please understand as we dive into these three verses tonight, and we're only going to really uh, unpack three of them tonight, Please understand that Satan has set many traps in your life. He has been very busy trying to set traps. And one of the traps that as conservative Christians, as Christians who 
know Jesus Christ and, and we are faithful to God's word and we uh, understand that the word of God is the very words of God. Uh, this is a trap that many of us uh, are vulnerable to. It's a trap that Paul warned about back in chapter 2, the trap of legalism, the trap of self-righteousness. And so let's read these three verses together, uh, beginning in verse 8, where we left off. Paul says, how be it then? You're an heir of God through Christ. How be it then? When you knew not God, back before you were saved, he's speaking not to primarily uh, Jewish believers, but primarily to Gentile believers. He says, wherefore, uh, how be it then? When you knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Ye observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, or literally I'm afraid for you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Now, let's zero in on those first couple of verses. But let's first of all define our terms. This, This word elements here, there's a lot of debate on what Paul meant. It can mean spiritual entities. And there are some modern translations that translate it that way. I do believe Paul is speaking about spiritual entities here. He's, he's being very clear. But the, the word has a more literal meaning as fundamentals. It's used of the, actually used of the alphabet. The very basics, the ABCs, we would say, of life. But how do we understand that term in the sense that Paul's using it? Well, he calls these the elements of the world here. The, the word elements, again, means fundamentals. The word world is cosmal, from which we get our English word cosmetic. It means an ordered system. The cosmos, an ordered system. Like the universe, like like creation itself, but uh, it can mean many different kinds of systems. And so I, I want you to see a couple things here tonight as we try to understand how Paul is using these terms and how this all fits together. What is what how what is Paul's talking about fundamentals? But then he's also talking about false gods. What is he actually saying here? And so there are two main things I want you to see tonight. Number one, Paul wants us to remember in these verses from whom and from what you were saved. Remember from whom and from what you were saved. Now, Paul is not saying the elements are the gods, as some people translate it, but he is saying that the elements are what the false gods use. What the pagan gods have used to manipulate us. So what have we been saved from? We've been saved from these elements of the world, these weak and beggarly elements. But who have we been saved from? The false gods who oversee those things and orchestrate those things. Let me see if I can uh, try to simplify this for you. There are three enemies of every human being, of every man, every woman, every child. Three enemies that all of us face. We sometimes summarize them as the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we see all three of these together in a few different chapters of Scripture. We're not going to look at all of these passages, but I do want to point your attention specifically to Ephesians chapter 2 and 1 John chapter 2. Uh, Look with me at at Ephesians chapter 2 for a moment. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in 1 through verse 3, Paul says, And you he hath quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins 
wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. John says this in 1 John chapter 2, picking it up in verse 8. John says, again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He's saying, listen, we're in a dark world, but if you're in Christ, the darkness in you has passed. And there's a light that is now shining inside of your heart. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the cosmos. Love not the ordered system of the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So we look at those passages of scriptures together and we see a couple things. We see that there is sin within us. All of us are at war with the sin within. Paul says we are born spiritually dead. That means we are born spiritually separated from God. Sinners by nature. Now some people teach that because we're born spiritually dead that we can't respond to God. But remember that Paul also says, same author, same apostle in Romans chapter 6, that you're dead to sin. Are you still able to sin? Be honest. We're all still able to sin. But the sin does not have authority over us anymore. The power of sin is broken. Sin is powerless over us, and so we still can choose to sin as Christians. We still struggle with the sin nature, but we are, Paul says, dead to sin. And from the other side, we are born not dead to sin, but dead to spiritual life. And so we do not have the power within us to get salvation. We don't have the power within us to get to God. That's why God had to come to us. That's why, that's why Jesus was born in a manger. That's why the Son of God became a man. That to come to us because we were spiritually dead separated from God, sinners by nature. Not only, though, do we have the sin within us, but we have the system surrounding us. The world system that surrounds us is culturally set up to condition us to feed that sin within. Now, every culture has its strengths and weaknesses. Not every culture in the world is the same. Not every culture in, in the United States is the same. I don't, I don't know how many of you have lived in, in other places, but 
Uh, you know, I grew up here in Cumberland, uh, but I was uh, born up in Altoona, and I got saved when Dad moved us down to Lynchburg, Virginia, when he went to uh, college at Liberty. Back then, it was Liberty Baptist College, and, and he attended school there. And so I, I, my oldest, my, my most of my oldest memories are of growing up in, in Lynchburg. That's where I uh, got saved and, and uh, spent my earliest childhood. But then we moved here to Cumberland. I've also lived in Catlisburg, Kentucky, which is a very different culture than here. Uh, I spent time up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, which is a very different culture than here. Uh, again, lived in Lynchburg and, and lived in uh, uh, Christiansburg, Virginia. And, and so I've been around a little bit, and I've seen even within this section of the country, there are a lot of different cultures. There are a lot of different ways of uh, interacting. And, and in uh, some places, it's very common for people to just show up at your house, walk on in. They're surprised when you're surprised that they're there. And there are other cultures that are more private and when you wouldn't just show up at, at, at somebody's house. For example, there are many different cultures, even in our country, even in our part of the country. But every culture has strengths and weaknesses. And Paul is saying, uh, and John is saying, that we have a world culture that is set up to encourage you to sin. It's, it's encouraging you to feed that sin within. We'll, we'll talk more about that in just a second. But over all of that, orchestrating all of that, is the archon above us. Archon is the Greek word that is used in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, speaking of Satan. The prince of the powers of the air, the archon of the air. Satan is the archon above this world, and Satan, through his servants, rules this present evil age. He and his servants orchestrate this world system that surrounds us and sets everything up to lure us into sin. So when we talk about these elementary principles... What Paul is saying uh, here in Galatians chapter 4 is that the enemy above us, these false gods that people used to worship, that saturated our society. By the way, you, you, you know what month it is, right? The month of December. Did you know that the months of the year are named after pagan gods? Dedicated to pagan gods? Did you know that the Days of the week are named after and dedicated to pagan worship. Sunday is called Sunday because it's dedicated to the worship of the sun. And some people mistakenly say, see, that's why we should worship on Saturday. Do you know why Saturday is called Saturday? Because it's dedicated to the worship of Saturn. Thursday, dedicated to the worship of Thor. Tuesday, uh, dedicated to the worship of, uh, I'm going to pronounce the, God's, the false god's name wrong, not that... I care what he thinks, but uh, Tuesday, uh, dedicated to the God, uh, Tire, I believe is how you pronounce it, or Tire. All of our culture is saturated in this worship of the pagan entities, the pagan gods. And so they orchestrate the elements of the world, the elements of the world system in order to snare us. Now, I want you to look with me again at second, uh, 1 John chapter 2. I don't know if you're still there or not, but let's take a look very briefly at these elements of the world system. 
And, and I believe this is what Paul is talking about. Although Paul doesn't dive in in Galatians 4 to really uh, carve out and, and describe in great detail these weak and beggarly elements that the false gods use, God used the Apostle John to do that for us. And so we see, when we look at 1 John chapter 2, specifically in verse 15, we see three critical weak and beggarly elements of this world system that is designed to draw the sin within us, all of it being orchestrated by the archon above us, and all of it set up to enslave us. John says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, John says, if you love the system, you're not saved. All of us struggle with the things in the system. But if you're in love with this system, this world system that gets people to sin, that's an indication, John says, that you don't really know Jesus. But if you do know Jesus, we are still susceptible to get caught up in these things within the system because we still have a sin nature. So what are these things? Verse 16, all that is in the world, all that is in the system, here are the elements of the system. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These things are not of the Father, but are of the system, the world. So let's look uh, at those three things briefly for a moment. And while we do, let me remind you that these three elements are the same three snares that are highlighted for us in Luke chapter 4 when Satan tempted our Lord Jesus. These are the same three elements that Moses highlights for us in Genesis chapter 3 that Satan used to snare Eve. Now, he was successful in snaring Eve. Praise God, he was not successful in snaring our Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus uh, batted aside every temptation and, and was sinless for all his life and remains the sinless, perfect uh, Son of God. But we see, first of all, this first snare, uh, which John describes as the lust of the flesh. And what he's really describing there, what we'll, we'll just simply define as physical temptations. Physical temptations. A strong, focused desire. That's what the word lust means. A strong, focused desire. Now, sometimes the Bible will use this word. Occasionally, it will use this word for a strong, intense desire in a positive way. But here, this is not <laughs> at all a positive thing. Our strong, focused desires can be abused and are often abused to bring us into bondage. These are natural God-given desires that God has placed inside of all of us. But when we take them outside of God's parameters and the parameters laid down for us in God's word, these things become abusive and they ensnare us. These snares inspire the abuse of physical pleasures. And so back in Luke chapter 4, Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. See, it's not a sin to desire food. That's a physical desire that God has given us. But it can be abused. It's not a sin to desire sleep. That's a physical desire that God has given in us. It's a natural thing, but it can be abused. 
we can become lazy. Human sexuality is not a sinful desire, but it can and is often in our culture incredibly abused when it is taken out of the confines of marriage, which God defines as one man, one woman, one lifetime together. Physical temptation. Secondly, the second element of the system that ensnares us is spiritual temptations. And uh, these are described by the Apostle John as the lust of the eyes. Now, you might think of the lust of the eyes as seeing things that you want. That's not really what John means when he talks about the lust of the eyes, because the way that the New Testament approaches the eyes really has to do more with how we see the world, how we define reality, how we see reality. So what we, what we really mean when we talk about the lust of the eyes, what the Apostle John was really talking about, is the strong, focused desire to reject God's truth and to live according to our own truth, to speak your truth. That's the lust of the eyes. The desire to see things the way I want to see them. To see them not according to facts, but according to my feelings. To see them through the filter of my foolish, sinful heart. Proverbs 16, verse 2, all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Verse 25, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but in the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 30, verse 12, there is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from filthiness. See, the eyes have to do with how we see ourselves. If we see ourselves correctly, We'll see ourselves as sinners in need of a Savior. We'll see ourselves as, as people who are saved by God's amazing grace if we're in, in His family. And we'll give Him the glory, not try to take any glory for ourselves. If we see the world around us the way God wants us to see it, we'll see with His truth, not our own desire to see things our own way. And so when we talk about the lusts of the eyes, we're talking about snares that inspire distortions and perversions of worship and so in Luke chapter 4 verses 5 through 8 the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and the devil said unto him all this power will I give thee and the glory of them for that is delivered unto me whosoever I will give it if thou therefore wilt worship me all shall be thine and Jesus answered said unto him get thee behind me Satan for it is written thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve this was the desire to pervert the worship of our Savior. And of course, our perfect sinless Savior broke that snare. But how many times have I tripped that snare myself? See the world, see God the way I want God to see Him. Isn't it amazing when God has all the same beliefs and all the same politics and all the same opinions and all the same feelings that I do? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing when, when I have a God that is so much like me, that's an indication that that God is a God of my own creation, not the one true God of the Bible. And so, am I looking at the world through the light of God's Word or through the lust of the eyes? Thirdly, we have not only physical temptations and spiritual temptations, but mental and emotional temptations. The pride of life. Now, this word pride is, is an interesting Greek word. It it literally means empty, arrogant boasting. 
Pride is, a, is an accurate translation, but it's a limited translation because the word means more than that. It has to do with being arrogant and actually not just feeling pride, but boasting. The boasting of life. This is the empty, arrogant search for success, for significance apart from the Savior. That's the pride of life. To think that I can be significant by myself. To think that I can find fulfillment apart from the one who created me. That I can find my purpose on my own. That I can make a difference in the world without Him. That's the pride of life. And this is the snare that encourages us to test God, to question God, to challenge God. Luke chapter 4, he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of the temple. And Satan said unto Jesus Christ, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands, they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, it is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Satan loves to get us to tempt God, to question God, to test God. That's the pride, the boasting of life. And so we need to remember from whom and from what you were saved. These elements, Paul says, are trying to catch us, are trying to snare us back into the same kind of paganism that God delivered us from. The same kind of system, the pagan system ruled over by Satan and his principalities and powers, the spirits at work and the sons of disobedience. And so we not only have to remember from whom and from what you were saved, but I also need to recognize and reject the spiritual forces behind legalism, because there are spiritual forces behind legalism, and they are not of God. They are the spirits, not of Christ, but of Antichrist. Second Corinthians, we go to Second Corinthians frequently. Paul says, I, I'm, I'm fearful for you that just as the serpent deceived Eve, that, that he will trick you out of the simplicity of Jesus Christ, and Paul goes on to say that he's able to do that because he's the angel of light. And how does the angel of light get us to do that? He sends out his messengers of righteousness, Paul says sarcastically. These men and women who claim to be from God. The only thing more dangerous than a sheep in wolf's clothing is a shepherd in wolf's clothing. And we've got plenty of those in our country today, some running for political office. Recognize and reject the spiritual forces behind legalism. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. He says, The Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Why? Because people aren't loving? Because the church is too much concerned about the Word of God? Is, is that why? The church is too faithful to God's Word? That's what I'm hearing. You're turning off the millennials because you're too concerned about preaching God's word and too concerned about Jesus. No, that's not what Paul says. Paul says the reason that people will depart from the faith is because they're giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. How can they 
act this way and, and feel no conviction? How can they lie so blatantly? How can they be so abusive and not have any conviction? Paul says their consciences have been seared as with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.22, beginning in verse 22 and, and going on to verse 26, let me just jump down for sake of time to verse uh, 24. Paul says, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that, listen to this, this is, this is scary, because he's talking about Christians here, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Many Christians, Paul says, Timothy, Many Christians have fallen into these three traps. They've fallen into these snares. And Satan is actually, they think that they're doing God's work, but actually they're doing the devil's work. And they're bringing division. And they're bringing doubt. And they're causing people to question God's word. And to turn from God's word. But it also impacts those of us who want to be faithful to God's word. Because legalism is also a snare, Paul says. Legalism is also a snare that will bring us into the bondage of the devil. Listen, look at these verses again uh, back in Galatians chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. We'll read them, make, make just a few quick comments, and then we'll close. Paul says, But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and the beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again, to be in bondage. Some Christians want to be back in bondage to physical temptations. Some, though, want to be back in bondage to spiritual temptations. Some want to be in bondage to mental, emotional bondage and snares. Paul says, you observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Remember back in chapter 2, Paul said that we have a tendency to rebuild what we tore down. We have a tendency. Now, you have to set aside your self-righteousness in order to receive Christ because if you think that you're good enough, you're never, never going to get saved. It's only when you recognize that you can't save yourself, that you're not righteous, that you are wicked, that you are under condemnation, that you, that you can come to Christ repenting of your sins and trusting in His forgiveness, His shed blood, His death as the only sufficient payment for your sin. The, that Jesus is the only way to be forgiven. His resurrection is the only way to have eternal life. And you call on Him and you trust Him and you're forgiven. But Paul says as soon as we do that, as soon as we do that, we want to rebuild that self-righteousness that we tore down. We want to build it back up again. We want to look at what we've done for God and what God owes me because of how righteous I am have made myself. And so Paul here is saying, listen, Satan uses Christianized legalistic rituals. And he uses those to lure many Christians back into slavery. And so through legalism, Christians begin to act the same way they did before they got saved. They begin to imitate 
the service that they used to give to the pagan gods by observing days and months and years and all these rituals that they got caught up in and to try to appease the gods, Paul says, you're doing the same thing. You're doing it in the name of Jesus, but you're enslaving yourself again. See, here's what we need to realize as we close tonight. Legalism is Christianized paganism. Legalism is Christianized paganism. And here's the warning that Paul is giving in verse 11. I'm afraid of you. I'm afraid for you is what he's really saying. Because Paul understood that those who profess Christ while enslaving themselves to legalism may not be truly saved. May not really be saved. Now, true Christians get caught up in this as well. So all of us need to be on guard for this. But the great danger is of being someone who has a form of godliness, but who denies the power of godliness. That is eternally damning. If we think that we're okay because we come to church and we sing songs and we give a little and we serve a little, and we're a pretty good person, and we're better than the next guy, and look how much better I am than that person. Look how much better I am than those people. And we don't understand. We've never truly trusted in Christ for our forgiveness. We've never truly trusted in His death and resurrection for our salvation. We're not trusting in Him. We're trusting in ourselves. Paul says, listen, I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid. But for those of us who have trusted Him, we have to watch out for the trap too. We have to watch out for that snare. Be on guard from the Christianized paganism that is legalism. Christ has enabled us to live in the freedom of the family of God. That's what we're going to do. Would you stand as we close in prayer? Father, we thank you so much for what Christ has accomplished on the cross, what Christ has accomplished for us in his resurrection. Father, we are eternally indebted and eternally grateful to you for the privilege of being called your children. And yet, God, how often do we forsake the freedom of Christ for the chains of legalism, God? And we end up serving the very enemy that you have freed us from. God, help us to see the freedom that only Christ can give, the freedom that only a child of God can claim, and help us to live in and experience that freedom. We love you, we thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. What another great message from Pastor DJ. I hope this has found you well and has made an impact on your life in the name of Jesus. If it has, please give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen on and share with a friend so others might be encouraged as well. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to hear from you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.